0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode fifty of the Sex Sales Podcast. What a journey it's been! Yes, nearly one year of podcasting. I hope you've been enjoying it. Uh, thank you for all the support, for all the shares, for all the comments, for everything, for all the DMs, even if I've gotten triggered at some of them. Thank you.
1: <laughs> it's a, it's such a milestone. It's exciting.
0: Yeah. Let's let's look back fondly <laughs> at some of our favorite podcasts. What's your favorite podcast that we've done?
1: I know what my least favorite is, um, which was the first one. And you were like, I was like, where do I look? And you were like, <laughs> look in the camera. <laughs> And my God, I've never been that. so mortified by something uh, my did entire I actually life. Say, look in you the camera, did look at the did. Because I, are oh, you, dickhead? <laughs> and everyone was like, dude, why is this? Why is she staring in my soul?
0: <laughs> that's right. It was like a lecture. <laughs> hey, guys, this is what we're supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the first one or two, we were just, you know, feeling it out.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, what was my favorite?
0: It's definitely involved. I, I do like the, sec- the incels one. Was was. <laughs> you know head thinker (laughs) yeah yeah, i like that one. i like that one and that's just becoming more and more relevant there's so many podcasts now that are actually talking about that uh there's a lot of manosphere type podcasts that are popping up there's one called i think it's called fit and fresh or fast and fresh right yeah any female listeners would hate it (laughs) Hmm. i even don't like it that much i just find it entertaining sometimes
1: and I get shit for watching The Bachelorette and look at you you just listen to it cuz you find it entertaining. It's
0: very entertaining. They uh they get a bunch of Instagram models or just girls from Miami. I don't know if they're all just Instagram models. Miami sounds like the Gold Coast of America. <laughs> and there's two of them and anytime the girls uh speak out of turn or say something basically that they don't like, they just say, no, you're being rude, get out, get out. And there's a guy, there's a producer somewhere backstage that is basically a big brother type figure that then says, yeah, you got to leave.
1: What the hell? Is this a show it's or just, a yeah, podcast? Yeah, it's just a
0: YouTube podcast show that's uh, very, whatever you want to call it, red pill focused, I don't know. It's interesting. If anyone listens or watches that uh, particular show.
1: Stop it. <laughs> Let us know what you think. <laughs> That's weird. Okay. Yeah, there's
0: points where even I think these guys are taking it too far. It Jesus. might be your
1: description of it, but that sounds odd. But I will will give it a listen. It's funny though. Yeah.
0: It's like the WWE of uh relationship podcasts.
1: Yeah. One of my favorites as well that we did was the porn one because everyone messaged me being like, whoa, true.
0: Yeah, that was a good one.
1: Yeah. And why men don't open up. A lot of people message me about that one as well.
0: Yeah, that's a that's something that we should talk about often because yeah. it's such a poignant and relatable issue in today's society. In fact, I was looking at statistics the other day that say fifty plus percent of men don't know how big the control group was, fifty plus percent of men who go to therapy eventually leave because they say it's not working or they don't find it conducive to helping whatever issues they're experiencing.
1: Wait, 50-plus percent of men who go to what? Therapy. Oh, so you said go to work and I was Sorry, like... Sorry, did I say that? I don't know. Maybe I misheard you.
0: 50-plus percent of men that go to therapy... Yeah. ...eventually just leave. Interesting. Or stop going because they find that it just isn't helpful. wonder why that is. Most psychologists are female.
1: It might be because I wonder if therapy it's very much you don't offer solutions the only therapy in which you can offer solutions is cognitive behavioral therapy but those solutions aren't solutions they're tasks so maybe men are like i yeah. just want to know what do i fucking do about this and she's maybe. like maybe let's unpack this without yeah
0: yeah this is purely anecdotal but i sometimes get a small sense of relief when i talk about any deep problems i'm experiencing but over time, that's not what helps me. What helps me is, yeah, finding a solution or changing my behavior or changing the way I see the world mm-hmm. and 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 I suppose um, reforming my, my as, as wanky as this is going to sound, reforming my purpose and the way I see myself within the world because uh, the biggest suicide risk for men is relationship breakdown and financial problems. Those mm-hmm. two contribute to more than 50% of male suicides. And... We can surmise from that. I, I think that in either of those instances, men have lost a major part of their purpose. Mm. They've lost their wife and their kids, most likely, um, or they've lost their job. And that was a huge point of why they even got up in the morning. Yeah. Um, so maybe just talking about that, I'm sure that does help, but well, they need to find a new purpose. Exactly. They need to find new meaning yeah. in their lives sure. so I don't know you know therapy doesn't necessarily um, you can tell me if I'm wrong here but it, it's not the goal of it isn't to say he's somewhere you where you can find purpose mm. I mean that could be part of it but you have to look to um other
1: outlets for that for sure I mean it, do- it definitely could be that therapy needs to be changed based on who you're speaking to. And it's also up to the client, though, to seek out a specific type of therapy. And that's the thing is that people don't know that there's different types of therapy available. Yeah. Like, they don't know that there's, you know, strength-based therapy or there's person-centered or there's CBT or DBT. Like, there's a million different types of therapy. There's hypnotherapy. So do research into that and see what's going to work the most for you. Because for someone that's like, I need to find my purpose, then a person-centered therapy is going to work the best. And I'm like, tell me about you. Like, what makes you tick? Like, what are you passionate about? That's kind of where that's at. Mm. Um, whereas someone that's like insecure or, um, you know, has low self-esteem would really focus on, do well in a strength based approach, which is usually the approach that I take with um, the kids I work with, where you take a really small win and you really build that up in someone and be like, oh, I really, I noticed that you did this. That's so fantastic. Like, I'm really proud of you. Like, it's kind of almost like reparenting. I do that specifically with teenagers and, and children to give them that kind of validation and acceptance or something that they may not have had in their life as a baby. Mm. So, look into the different styles of therapy before you seek a therapist is is often really helpful
0: mm, i think cbt would be maybe more effective for for some of those men that maybe feel like the yeah traditional form of therapy isn't working don't know though it's a it's a it's a horrible issue though and the um rates are just increasing across western countries yeah and it's sad it's very sad.
1: Of of suicide, did you say? Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I mean the COVID, the pandemic didn't help. Yeah. A lot of people lost their job. I think times are changing and, and, and family and job were the main sources of meaning for many men's lives throughout history, not just throughout the twentieth century. And we have to evolve, I think this sort of reactionary sentiment of let's go back, let's let's um, try and obstruct some of the uh, progressive ideals that are bring, being brought about because we want to go back to that uh, simple and um, well-understood way of men finding meaning. Mm. I don't think that's fruitful anymore. I think this is the trends for society. This is what's happening so... It's not about taking a backward step and trying to hold on to what was but finding new sources of meaning, figuring out a new roadmap maybe that's specifically tailored for men to find meaning and to uh, live purposeful lives.
1: Yeah, it is really um, interesting when I observe how sometimes different genders, just go a completely a different way. Like when my brother goes through something, obviously he's he's a male. Um, and when he was a teenager, if he went through something, he would just throw himself into surfing. So that was his thing. And then he became semi-pro. And then when he was older, he got really into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then he would compete in that. And he was like, everything in his life was BJJ, BJJ. BJJ. Like it was like his main focus purpose. And then now it's ultra running marathons and that's like his obsession and he just has to have this one thing that he completely fixates on and yeah, in order to feel, I guess, secure and, and comfortable within himself. So it's oh. always got something.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when I felt low in my, in my life, I find a new hobby or, or, or skill to really obsess over and that gives me a lot of uh, purpose. Seeing the rewards after having put in a year's work, a year's worth of hard work, and mm. seeing the improvement, and having another, I guess, um, string to your bow of who you are as a person. Yeah, yeah.
1: I wish I was more like that because I get I get fixated on hobbies, but I will only have a hobby for like two months max. So, like, really, last two months it was art before that it was making jewelry before that it was pottery so I mean a lot of that is art and now I'm I'm trying to be like come on let's make a gym like (laughs) let's let's do that but you know
0: well that's the cliche a lot of people who um fit into the the gym addict stereotype are actually just trying to compensate for their heartbreak yeah that's all the all the gym meme pages it's yeah, something related to oh, someone hurt you. Therefore- you didn't
1: like me then. How about now? Exactly.
0: Exactly. Like- <laughs> I
1: wish that happened to me. I was instead, I'd just be like, let's fucking do whatever I want that makes me feel good. <laughs> well, it does
0: give you. It gives you something to do. It puts yeah. you into a routine. uh it- it's it's very it's verifiable, demonstrable results that come about if you work hard at it, mm. and that would increase your self esteem. I can. Yeah. I can attest to that. So the gym it can be an effective way of um, alleviating, um, I wouldn't say depression, but sadness, low self-worth, low self-esteem, and people mock it. Uh, I see a lot of comments on certain videos saying, oh, if only men stopped going to the gym and started going to therapy. <laughs> well, you're not a man. You don't know <laughs> what could actually be more helpful.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It's a good way to expel that pent up energy, which is, I think people might perceive that as being like, okay, but you need an additional way to, if you have that much, that, that level of, I guess, things that are pent up in you, maybe we should explore things in addition to the gym to get that out. But if you're just interested in it and you're passionate about it, go for it.
0: Yeah, well I think maybe you could say to as gym or just physical exercise. It's mm-hmm. particularly strenuous physical exercises a way to uh, relieve some of the potentially pent up stress, frustration and same uh semen
1: retention. Semen retention.
0: There you go. And put it towards something <laughs> yeah. beneficial. It's going to it's going to help your physical health and and it will help your mental health and uh, it uh, Concurrently to that, you also need a way to maybe assuage some of those mental and emotional issues that you could be experiencing. So, the gym could you could see the gym as just the band aid fix or the short term temporary fix to pent up frustration and stress that's going on in your life. But then you actually need you could call it structural changes to your uh, uh, the way your life. Looks, but also how you look at yourself and how you see yourself within the world. This is all very convoluted, but yes, Mm. I think you need a multi pronged um, attack to uh, mental health concerns, and and just the gym is obviously not going to be helpful.
1: Speaking of pent up energy, and this is very left of field, and not something you know, how we were talking about last week the Ouija board. I'm about to go down another go. realm. Yeah. Okay. So I was watching to uh listening to this podcast by um his name's Aaron Aaron Doty or something. Yeah. He's very famous. And people kept saying, if you're into spirituality, listen to his podcast. Anyway, I've only listened to him like twice. Okay. And one of the podcasts I listened to was him and his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend. And she was talking about astral sex as a, <laughs> a way of All like right. relieving. Um, kind of pent up like energy and stress. Yeah.
0: Oh, I was just gonna chime in. Uh sex actually is a s it's a proven stress reliever.
1: A hundred percent. And
0: our closest relative, everyone thinks it's chimps, but if you look at bonobos, mm-hmm. they are just the hippies of the wild. Yes. And even if they experience inter tribe conflict, they'll often just have a giant orgy. It's
1: great. <laughs> and then
0: get along with each other. Whereas chimps are extremely barbaric and violent. Yeah. And one you could argue is is very patriarchal and the other is very matriarchal. But yet we're just equidistant in the evolutionary timeline to both of these species. This so, so which one are we closer to? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows?
1: I love that. It is true though. Like, you got a headache, you have sex. You got cramps, you have sex. Your grandma died. <laughs> well, you, <have> <laughs> you become
0: a sex addict then. But yeah, true. You're no, grandma I'm just kidding. died. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, not at the funeral Yeah, not at the funeral But anyway, so she said that she would like write about it or read about it on Reddit And this is why you got to get sex. on Reddit So what is that? Okay, okay what is astral so you sex? know there's lucid dreaming Yeah, yep. yeah And you know astral project- projecting
0: Now I've never heard the term astral before
1: Oh, okay, so astral projection is when you're almost in a state of lucid dreaming Okay, And some people believe it is lucid dreaming. Uh However, the people that do astral project, and I've never done so as much as I'd like to experience it, say that it is you literally feel yourself leave your body. You can acknowledge that, okay, my body's there asleep on the bed and you're in some kind of other realm between sleep, awake but they feel that they are in another spiritual realm or something. And some people can actually project okay. every single night. And even the, the movie...
0: Sober? Are they taking any substances to act? Sober. Okay. Sober.
1: So you practice it like you would... Um, lucid dreaming so you can fall asleep first become lucid in your dream and then you can like apparently like envision a door and then be like when i walk this door i'll be astral projecting or some people will envision um themselves well they'll be asleep i mean awake lying in bed right getting tired and then they envision themselves like oh no this way pulling a rope out of your body and you're just envisioning it, envisioning, envisioning it for almost like an hour straight. And then all of a sudden you feel yourself come out. And then you're like, I don't know, apparently you can just walk around or whatever. and Or go anywhere. You can fly. There's so many movies based on it. Um, what's the one I'm thinking of? I think it's called Sinister. Mm-hmm. Watch it tonight. It's interesting. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's not too scary. Um, and it's got the same guy who's the main lead in Conjuring as well. Anyway, so Astral Sex apparently when you astral project you are meeting people from other realms other spirits or you're also meeting other people that are astral projecting so people have claimed and this isn't i don't i haven't even looked at if this is scientifically proven but people claim that they would have like say a guy in australia like say you astral project and then all of a sudden this guy's like i met a girl she's 22 years old she lives in texas america who was astral projecting at the same time and we found each other on facebook when we woke up so people have stories like that all the time Yeah, yeah 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 so then then this this woman on this podcast was saying how she has astral sex <laughs> and felt like is it cheating? Not really, but kind of it is. Uh because you're in your conscious and you're deciding it and it, what if it's real? And people then I looked it up on Reddit and I was like, "Hang on, is this is oh this God. something that people do? I'm so interested in so,
0: this." So 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 wait, so you're this your soul or whatever it is, you're, you're having this outer body experience where you're still feeling everything that that part of you is experiencing.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but your physical body is in bed or wherever yes. it may be. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you may go and have sex with someone. And Yeah. Is that – Jesus
1: Christ. And then there's – and I so I looked it up on Reddit and then people were like, uh, I, I astral projected to my crush's house. And it was 11 p.m. when I became lucid or astral projected. I went to this girl's house. So – In his mind, his body's in bed, but in his state, he's literally walked all the way 10 kilometres to her house. He's gone in. She's there asleep, and he's had sex with her. And then he's like, afterwards, he's like, is that rape? Like, because to him, it was so real, and he did it consciously, so he was planning it during the day while he was awake, like doing the dishes and whatever. In
0: his projection, was she asleep or what?
1: Yeah, she's asleep. He doesn't envision her awake unless – and because if she was awake, it wouldn't be her. Like it would be someone pretending to be, like you can apparently come across spirits will be people that you desire. This is, i just so you know, before you come yeah. at me again, I don't necess- necessarily believe it or buy into it. This is just what I've read. Um, and I find these like things very, well, I just find them curious. And I always talk about these kind of topics. Like remember when I went on yeah. that fairy rant? I don't believe in fairies. Hands down, don't believe in it. But I was curious about why people were scared of them and saying if a mushroom opens up, yeah, be careful. Our (laughs) brain is
0: a very complex network that we don't fully understand and there are other experiences we can have that are different to what we're all generally consciously experiencing. Yeah. Um, And we do have a religious impulse, I think.
1: Exactly. So
0: I don't know what these people have experienced or whether there's – a scientific truth to it, but I wouldn't be uh, immediately sceptical either.
1: Well, some people say that they But it is
0: also very funny to make quirky, fun of. yeah. yeah it's and very...
1: It's interesting. Like apparently... New age hippie. People have like documented... Uh, people are saying the CIA did this, or I don't actually know. A lot of people say the CIA did everything these days. Um, but saying yeah, how...
0: Did the CIA ever do anything good? <laughs> Is there a conspiracy theorist out there that's like, "No, the CIA was actually wonderful.
1: <laughs> they were just chill. They do anything. They, they saved us." But anyway, so they were saying that people they would get people to astral project into enemy territory and listen to conversations or um or um find things. And like there's also that Netflix show that was crazy a couple months ago. I think it's called like Eyes Wide Open or something. Oh, that's so good. And that's about astral you, Watch that one. It's so good. Open. Okay. I think that's the name of it.
0: How do you astral, what do you have to do?
1: Well, I don't know. I haven't done it, but okay. I just told you, you could do the rope thing, You're the just... lucid dream, the door. I've got sure. books on it, but because um, I was curious, but never have I done it. I've had lucid dreams, but that's Yeah, I've it. had
0: one or two lucid dreams. Yeah. But that's same. That's it.
1: You can do, I know a guy who went to, I think it was Hawaii for two weeks to do like a uh, I don't want to say camp or astral projection, but it was like a workshop where people from around the world all were doing. And then they were like, okay, I'll meet you on the realm at 3 a.m. Like, <laughs> So he said it was wild. He said he fully believes gosh. it. And um, that, his stories were very oh, interesting to me.
0: This is like a giant Sims,
1: oh, like a spiritual yeah, Sims. Yeah, it's wild. And people say, like, I go in, I meet my spirit guides. I meet, like... I meet fucking aliens and converse with them and I find out things about myself or life or the world and it's like I've never been so enlightened. Anyway, so they say with sex that it's like normal sex but you don't even penetrate. You just feel it head to toe, your body's emerged and it's like the most orgasmic experience that you could possibly imagine but you can't even without envision, and without experiencing it, you can't even envision it. So... God. That was, that was a long tangent that I went on. There you go. <laughs> something that was so off topic. If but anyone's had
0: astral sex, let us know what it was like. Please
1: message me privately and I will not respond in judgment or even tell Neil. I just want to know. you like, got to tell me. Oh, I just, I'm so curious about it. you got to um,
0: tell me if someone messages you. You don't, you don't have to tell me what okay. they say. But on this uh, very special anniversary podcast, we were going to do something a bit introspective. Um, and... Think about things that we would tell our younger self. Originally, it was our 20-year-old self, but I thought, let's go 10 years. I think that's... Yeah. I've learned a lot more over yeah, that's true. that period of time. I've still learned a lot in the last... Well, if we're talking to our 20-year-old self, that's seven years for me. Good maths. <laughs> I'm Indian. Whereas if we go 10 years, 17...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Look, what would we tell our younger self? Let's just make it like that. Yes. So you're 26. Yeah. What would you tell your 16-year-old self?
1: My first thing that I would say is don't let people silence you, especially teachers. Like if you have a fair point and you want to debate something without being a little brat about it, do it. Because I find that what I really struggle with is how often people are like, Teenagers, they're, they're uh, unpredictable. They're risk takers and their brains are underdeveloped. Therefore, we need to kind of educate. Well, these are true, but that doesn't mean they're not people that have conscious and interesting and thoughtful feelings, thoughts, and inputs. So did you
0: feel like you were silenced all as a teenager the time, all the fucking teachers? time? Teachers,
1: yeah, it was always teachers. I, but I did, I was bratty about it. Though I would debate with them. I'd be like, well, How? How can I not? How can you not let me go to the bathroom, Miss, when I have my period?" So, what are you going to do? Are you going to let me bleed through my skirt in front of everyone? Like I would debate with them like that and be like, why can't I have autonomy over my own body? Like those kind of things. Well, it doesn't but- sound
0: like you were silenced there. <laughs> no, but I. That.
1: it was just like a, I think it happens all the time. Like not just with teachers, but with parents as well, where they're like, I make the decisions for you. So, I think it's important to let come to an agreement like one of the most interesting parenting perspectives that I believe is like okay let's pre-plan the consequences like okay we agree that you need to be home at 9 p.m on a Tuesday night what can we agree on like giving people autonomy to make decisions about their own life
0: don't you think there's something to be said about uh, as you've experienced more life and you become hopefully wiser Mm. you know certain things uh, or certain long-term consequences or you may have learned hard lessons and Mm. the younger person may not understand why they're being told to act in a certain way but for the greater good for their long-term development that needs to be enforced
1: I don't think it's up to us I feel like we can inform them and we can encourage them but I feel like we should not forcibly enforce people and a lot of I think the parenting books that are written this year or last year compared to 10 years ago vastly different. So 10 years ago it would be like if your child did this, then you do time out, you do this. Nowadays time out and consequences and removing children's like Xbox is is un, it's not recommended. It's the opposite. Well, what do so, you do? Then?
0: How do you punish a child? Or we shouldn't- That's is, why you come to an agreement. The of punishment Like come is... to an
1: agreement outside of the situation. So saying like, if a situation were to occur, what do you think a fair punishment is? And you'd be so surprised that like kids come up with things that are fair. They'll be like, well, okay, if I'm sneaking out late, I'll give my phone to you for two weeks. They're not like, okay, I'm 10 minutes off my phone kind of thing. Like they do come up with these things. But one of the things that, you know, we kind of get taught at work when we work with kids how to parent these um, like children with very high complex needs and challenges is that when a child does something that is very rude or like completely disrespectful blah 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 that we ignore the behavior completely you pay zero attention to it but then when they do something positive you praise them and you reward them for the positive behavior and we found and studies that this came from um, this kind of approach or model has come from America and
0: behaviorism.
1: Yeah. But we found now that because 10 years ago in this industry, it would be like, okay, if your child does that, then first things, we will remove this, we'll do that. And then the child would escalate further and more things. And then they go down here. We found now that this approach has like an 80, 89% success rate in, pulling a child back from, one, correcting that behavior and not doing it again compared to previously where it would be like a 52% success rate.
0: What about all the trends that show children are more dysfunctional than than ever? I mean, when we're talking about anxiety and depression, that's increased tenfold just mm-hmm. over the last decade. Now, I'm sure social media has contributed a lot to that, but is there yeah. anything to be said about parenting styles becoming too relaxed and too merciful and there still does need to be some punitive measures in place and um, the parents need to hold authority over the
1: children. like I've worked with parents and I still do that are way too passive and they will accept anything a child does because they're like well they're just a kid so what if he killed the neighbor's cat like I know it's (laughs) sad but that kind of thing and in that case you need to have conversations and you need to, you know, if you want to say like, okay, I'm going to, this This is what's going to happen and this is what we've agreed what will happen or this, because of this, this is the reason why and doing it in a very calm matter rather than being like, that's it, you're not getting a door in your room, you're not getting a phone, like I'm not, it's not going to help a child learn but I guess the environment in which you set up this learning is what is going to be the most pivotal stance of how that child is going to out, have their outcome basically and how they're going to learn and develop and, and think for themselves so a lot of like um, parenting now they're saying like you know if you're they'd be like don't let your kids use knives don't which we still soon, not but um, they'd be like okay, hey, well kids a three-year-old can't put jam and butter on a toast so we'll just do it for them right now they say let the child attempt to put a three-year-old or a two-year-old to put the butter and jam on a toast with a little butter, like tiny little plastic knife. And they're going to make a fucking mess. It's going to be everywhere. But don't correct them. Don't take it off them and do it yourself. Teach them the independence to do that themselves. And putting that in them so young is so highly effective compared to the way it it has been previously. So I think that the way that our parenting books are changing is parenting needs to change based on the day and age as well. So... It is a, it's a hard, you'll never get it right. There's always going to be things that are hard. Like you can't, no one can parent perfectly. But I guess my only lesson would be is, I guess with that silencing is, yes, there are consequences to things, but more importantly to consequences, there are lessons to be learned. And you can still have, find a way to teach that lesson to a child without just giving them a consequence where they don't actually understand it properly. And I think that's what the biggest miscommunication or barrier is between the two. They've done this, you take off their phone and they're not thinking, I wish I hadn't done that shit. They're just thinking, fuck you. Like, you're a piece of shit, dad. Taken off my laptop from me for a month. Like, how am I going to do this? Now I can't do that. Like, they're not thinking about the lesson. They're not learning anything from that except for how to hide it from you better.
0: Okay, interesting. So, you tell your 15-year-old self to... Stand up for themselves more? Is that
1: Yeah, I just think that it's it's okay to speak to adults and share your thoughts and that adults shouldn't just try to recorrect everything a teenager has to say because for me as a kid, at that point, that was my lived experience. Like yes, mom, or yes, auntie or teacher. I know you're 50 years old and you've gone through your own experiences, but this is I can only refer to my lived experience. So by you telling me what to do and dictating it, I'm not actually going to learn from that. So that's kind of...
0: Do you think there's a lack of respect, though, for the wisdom of elders? Because the only Mm. thing I disagree with that on is, you know, I think back to what I thought when I was 15, 16. Yeah. And it has dramatically changed. Yeah. Or at least definitely the depth to it has severely changed. Mm. And, of course, anyone at any age should be allowed to express their opinion. But when it comes to who has the final say on certain topics or within a family environment or a work environment, there's something to be said about um, an authority figure.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Because if I'd let – if there were situations where my uh, younger self was permitted to um, have their ideas fully enacted and and, – conceptualized who knows what would have happened
1: yeah no i agree with that and i definitely think that parents need to always be a parenting figure rather than a friend but i still think that you can be the kind of the the power person in the house and make the important decisions to keep a child safe and enhance their well-being whilst at the same time not dictating a child every single thing they do, unless it's a matter of a safety concern, in which case that's different. Like if a kid's like, hey, mom, I'm going to go, I'm 11 years old and I'm going to go sleep in this haunted house um, with a 40-year-old man because he's also into ghost hunting. Obviously, I'm not going to be like, well, let's... Let's speak about this, um, Jane. Like let's go let's go through this together. And I would just be like, no, that's not appropriate. And that's the time where I would step my foot down. But when it's just things like things that are kind of up for or grey areas or not gonna be an immediate risk to safety, like, oh, I disagree. Don't quit your Macca's job to become a social media influence at sixteen, thinking you'll make money for it. I can share that that's probably gonna be in my opinion, like that might not work. Like, what's going to happen if that doesn't work out? What are the other options? Like, what if if this doesn't work? How are you going to have an income? Those kind of things, rather than being like, nope, you're staying in your job.
0: Oh, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. There is a limit to that, I think. Um, there may be certain professions or paths that you, as a as an adult would understand the consequences off a little bit more than they would mm. and they may have a naive utopian view of a certain lifestyle or um, behaviour or activity and you might need to be firm and, and yeah. put your foot down. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Boundaries are very important. Boundaries should be in every kind of parenting relationship but there's a way you can do it with, with respect and I think that what I'm really getting at is is that you can parent and you can make the decisions and be be the final decision maker, but it has to be done with respect as well. And I think that's the thing that teenagers lack from adults a lot is respect. Even though they do they do make silly decisions. Wouldn't I work with say, the teenagers for a living. Wouldn't they,
0: you say adults lack respect from teenagers based on what I'm seeing on, yes, on social media and things? Yes. Oh, Boomer, you don't know what you're talking about. Hell, mm. even we do that.
1: Mm. But not there's a that's because they're not respecting them. Like, okay. for example. This
0: is every conflict ever. Oh, well, I'm acting this way because they acted okay, that way Okay, well, towards let's me. just
1: say I I worked with, um, in a previous job, some um, a, a pe- few people that did the same role with me. And this one kid had gone through four different workers and yeah. they were like, I can't work with this kid. She's a nightmare. She's such. A f- she's so fucking rude. Bah, blah, blah, blah. This, I'm not doing it. She came to me in the end and we got along. Very well. We had a completely fine relationship because she would tell me things like she'd be like, "Oh yeah," like she'd try to like poke me and and guess aggravate me and test me. I would say, being like, "I did this on the weekend," and I'd be like, "Oh, okay." And well, how do you keep yourself safe when you do that? Like, who who do you call if something goes wrong when that happens? Those kind of things. And you know, because of that approach, I guess. I mean, this is a humble brag, but in A couple of years ago, I won a um, local hero award with Westfield. And then the year after that, I won a local women award from (laughs) Gladys Beric Jicklian. And those are because of the way I work with teenagers. Okay. I was nicknamed the Teenage Whisperer. So, it's because I always respect the teenagers and the way I can get them to turn and change their outcome on their path just because I respect them. So, they respect me in return. So, I think it's such a powerful way of... Or dealing with our kids that people don't do. They just think, fuck, teenagers are so stupid. They do the stupidest shit. Like, they're instantly shutting that down. Whereas I'll be like, there's so much that I learn from kids that I work with or teenagers. I'm like, shit, that's a bloody interesting, like, perspective. I get why you think that. Yeah. Can I offer you another one?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Much more impactful.
0: Oh, well done. I didn't know that, that you won those awards. Yeah. The teenage whisperer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Send your kids the, to me. Put that in the bio. Uh, yeah.
0: whisper to well, other teenagers. Yeah. Well, that's something you're probably telling parents and caregivers of teenagers more than your fifteen year old self. Um I don't these questions are always funny because like with any uh, work of fiction that deals with someone who's going into the past or going into the future, if you meddle with it, things change. So if I told my 16-year-old self yeah. certain lessons that I know now, they may, may not have experienced the uh, same life that I have and they wouldn't have learnt those lessons.
1: Mm-hmm. So That's what I was thinking driving I in. I don't
0: want to say anything to them because yeah. I like all the lessons that I have learned.
1: Yeah.
0: So just do, do you.
1: Not Neil. Just
0: do- no, Neil. <laughs> no. I don't know what to say. It's. Uh- yeah.
1: What would you tell a 16-year-old? Okay, tell another
0: 16-year-old, don't try and change the world, change yourself first. Mm. That's the biggest thing, and it's such a cliche. Every self-help guru says this. It's Jordan Peterson's main point, but no one will respect you if your life is a mess and you're constantly lecturing everyone about how you can fix the mess that is the world. Okay, develop good habits. That's, I think, all you should be doing in your in your teenage years and early twenties. Develop good habits, and that is reading, physical activity, all the things I constantly Mm -hmm. talk about. Yeah. Get into routines. um, Have long term goals. um, Don't judge yourself too harshly. Uh, Everyone's gonna say that. (laughs) Don't judge yourself. It's gonna be okay.
1: Don't have low self esteem.
0: (laughs) Well, learn from. Look, life isn't gonna be. You know. Uh, Rosie. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But you need to um, try and foster within yourself a certain amount mm. of resilience and and a, and a temperament that when times do get tough, you figure out a way to learn from that and not just mm. um, wallow in resentment.
1: Bloody oath! Being a teenager is hard. Like what I would say to teenagers is the way you feel now rest assured and find relief and it's it's not going to be the way you feel for your whole life because mm. it is the most teen, going through the teenage years is, is it's literally the hardest period of your life based on hormones like everything that you develop puberty it's crazy the amount of emotional rollercoasters that you go through every single day and usually internally as well because you don't just want to have some meltdown a lot of kids do it just every day just have a little cry or whatever it's crazy so that's that's normal experience of being a teenager so if you read up things about like depression or anxiety and a lot of kids are diagnosed with that and and self-diagnosed with it but it's also part of being a teenager it's very normal and common experience so rest assured that and also when you're in school I don't know this might be just kind of the pressure that only private schools put on I'm not sure because I went to like a douchey, prestigious public, uh, private school. And the only thing teachers would ever talk about was you sort your shit out now because if you fuck up the HSC, you're screwed for life. That's it. Like if you don't do well, you're in this final one exam, like your life is over. Like if you don't go to university, your life is over. All we ever heard was do well so you can go to uni. And I'd never heard of any other unis other than uh, University of Sydney. UNSW, and Macquarie University. So that well, was all I was ever told in high school.
0: Depending on the uh, uh, area of the workforce you want to get into, university is almost obsolete now in many areas. Like yeah. if you want to get into media in almost any capacity, I'd say don't even, don't even bother with uni. Mm. Just uh, get on social media, ironically <laughs> enough. Um, you know what? I don't know if I'd take that because – don't you think it's just so overdone? Because even when I was in year 12, there was just this constant rhetoric about don't put too much pressure on yourself. It's going to be okay. I actually had a very different experience. Everyone That's was saying, uh, you know, the HSC isn't the be all and end all, but make sure you study hard. But don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Well Look, put, put some pressure on yourself. I wish yourself I had, had that
1: message rather than the one I got. Something, so that's interesting. There's nothing
0: wrong with a bit of pressure and then sometimes having a bit of shame if you haven't lived up to the expectations you set for yourself. Now, mm. if you're a perfectionist, I think I have some traits like that, you you can tone that down a little bit. Mm. But uh, you also embrace who you are. If you are a perfectionist, cool. Figure out a way that it can you can um, utilize that part of you in an effective way, in a way that's going to help you. If... If I was being very specific, and I was talking to say a sixteen-year-old boy, I would say, "Just stop porn. Just stop. Yeah. <laughs> just stop. It's not going to help you. You're going to get addicted. you have probably already been watching it since you're thirteen. Mm. Just stop." Mm. And I would actually be quite firm. And I, I don't know if I, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'm the parent or what, but I would just use some sort of propaganda to say, "Don't do it." Fair. <laughs> yeah, because again, that's that's I feel like something I can speak with authority on because I've then gone through another mm. seven, eight, nine years of having watched so much of it and seen how it adversely impacts the person. Whereas I understand the impulse to watch it, mm. I still watch it, but it's it's I can see, I know what it, the the long term ramifications it may have. Whereas the teenager may not have the foresight. To fully understand that they may yes. they may take it in and understand this this could be bad for me, but the, the dopamine hit that they get mm-hmm. is so strong yeah. that um, they're unable to delay that gratification. And I would actually be quite strict and say, no, you know, I'd put in some sort of form of punishment and say every time you watch it, you're gonna do this, or <laughs> you're gonna now I'd obviously talk to them yeah, and, and yeah, I'd try to yeah. figure out something like yeah. you said. Maybe I would I look, you can watch it, this is what's gonna happen. Yeah. If you keep watching it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I'd um, say or exactly how I'd say it, but I'd do everything I can without being a tyrant. Yeah. Trying to get them to develop good habits and develop that sort of discipline. Um, I'd also try and limit the social media, but as you've spoken about in previous episodes, it's you're almost taking them away from a valuable social network. And when I say social network, mm-hmm. I don't just mean the the app itself. I mean mm-hmm. a, 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 an actual Web of uh, people that they interact with and talk to, and if they're taken out of it, what's short-term social consequences mm-hmm. um, could that bear for them?
1: Exactly in, in
0: school or uni or whatever it may be. But again, I would, I would, as firmly and as passionately and as vigorously as I possibly can, without being a tyrant, I would say, limit your social media. Mm-hmm. It, it it will help you. But in ten years, it's not that long. If you're sixteen now. Mm-hmm. So when you're 26 and you're still young, you're still very young at 26, a lot of people will um, look at people our age and say, oh, your life's just beginning and whatever. So there would be a dramatic increase if you say use social media four or five hours a day versus one hour a day. Over the course of 10 years, oh, your yeah. life will be immensely different.
1: That's what so- I agree that something that needs to be taught with every single person, especially young people of today is that you need to be able to sit in comfort with boredom and without having something to occupy yourself. Like it is so little that we actually sit with nothing that is preoccupying us, like a television, a phone or whatever, porn. So like I can't, sometimes I think, oh my God, aside from when I actually designate time to meditate, I might not just sit on my couch or sit on my chair and just be, and that's a really dangerous habit to start when you're young. Like we're kind of lucky in the sense that we're kind of on the cusp where social media wasn't as big when we were in like year mm-hmm. eight and year nine or whatever like it is now. It was big, but it wasn't like MSN a... MSN
0: for quite a few hours a day. Yeah. Well, it wasn't good.
1: Yeah, but even then like MSN, the communicating is is and texting is kind of different to like the dopamine hit of the images, the TikTok videos and sure. things like that. So... We need to be able to learn to sit with, with comfort and silence, and and comfort in just being alone. Because if you are re- like relying on something to occupy yourself, constantly, every minute of your waking time, even if you're like occupying yourself with work or something, but any spare moment where you rely on social media or something, as soon as that's not available, you're gonna you're gonna turn to something else that's yeah. gonna lift up your dopamine levels, like shopping. Overeating, drugs, sex, porn, um, a whole bunch of things that can be good and can also be very dangerous and become more and more increasingly addictive and more and more in your life.
0: Yeah. Ultimate running. What is it that your brother does? Ultimate running,
1: <laughs> ultra marathon running. Ultra
0: mar- What's an ultra marathon?
1: I don't know. He goes on like a hundred and thirty kilometer runs and stuff. Hundred and thirty yeah, kilometers. Or it is. It's over a hundred. Um, so, and he also does runs that go for like five what? days, like where he'll sleep on a, um, like a uh what's the fuck? sleeping bag <laughs> i don't know why i forgot the word i mean and, good on him and then get up first thing he'll sleep for a couple of hours and continue oh. running sleep for a couple hours continue running yeah
0: get blisters or something
1: yeah it's crazy and because they just had they had to eat so much sugar on their run so yeah, it kind of yeah. like he always has just
0: constantly drinking
1: to get like he has cavities and shit because he's just constantly eating sugars like for hours on his run to keep because he's burning so many calories
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so that sounds like, I mean, I'm not one to judge. Obsessive. Sounds a bit obsessive, yeah, yeah, like taking something to an nth degree. But yeah. a lot of people do have that addictive personality. And yeah. Look, it's better he's doing that than doing drugs. Yeah. So that's imp- 130 kilometres.
1: Yeah. It's wild.
0: That's like I can run to Newcastle.
1: I can run to like two kilometres and then I'm like yeah. having a heart attack. <laughs> I haven't done oh, any I haven't.
0: I haven't run for about a year because of my back. Yeah. Just to, um, I either oh. swim or I do the elliptical. I
1: thought that was dancing. <laughs> I yeah, thought I, I do was, a bit like, of Zumba. Too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good crazy. on him.
0: Mm-hmm. What else would I tell my uh, younger self or a younger person? Just, you don't want to burden them with too much stuff anyway, because then again they. People have to learn mistakes for them, you know, learn from their mistakes themselves, and that is the most powerful way to uh, instill lessons into people, rather than you sort of forcibly telling them to act a certain way. Having said that, you can make the argument that culture or religion is just a, um, it's just an, an anthology of, of of wisdom that has been learned throughout the ages. And there's something to be said about uh, not just blindly following it, but respecting the the lessons that were learned mm-hmm. probably over a lot of suffering. Yeah. So um, don't dismiss people who disagree with you and who you may think are outdated or older and fossilized or... Whatever you want to call it.
1: And stop calling 26 year olds. Old people. <laughs> That's uh, what I would say. We're old. I like that. We're <laughs> I wise. <hate> that.
0: <laughs> you know I want to be a silver fox, so I like that.
1: Do you do you have any you don't have any greys? No. Mm. <laughs> well, <Work laughs> imagine, imagine if I dyed my hair grey. People gray. do that. That's a yeah, thing, know. yeah. Salt and pepper.
0: No, maybe by maybe by forty if I'm a silver fox, I'll like that.
1: I like that. <laughs> I like
0: that. They say if you keep all your hair till um, up to 30, you probably won't then lose it Yeah. till 60 or something.
1: I so. heard it comes from your mom's three, side.
0: Three years left. Let's go. Come on. Let's go.
1: Hold on to it. Yeah, yeah. my mom's
0: um, father had really good hair. My oh, dad's good. father lost it pretty young, although my dad has it all, so I should be good.
1: Thank God. let see, though. Phew, I was worried. No, that's good.
0: I so, know. I lose all my followers if I'm bald.
1: Everyone bored listening to us. You can be. A lot of women and find bald people very sexy, and because also, it's a
0: sign of high testosterone. That's
1: what I was getting at next. Yeah, it's yeah. a sign of high testosterone. Little rock. So Jason Statham. So one of the things that comes sure, with if you lose your hair young, one perk is that you actually most likely be able to maintain erections a lot longer into your old age than a typical man. <laughs> that's a good way genuinely. Of about yeah, it. there you go. So. There you go. Um I would say to well to a boy I would say it's really really important to respect your female peers because I know you're so horny but <laughs> respect because what you can do to a, a young girl can impact her for the rest of her life and Probably, that for yeah, you that doubt. might be two minutes of fun but you never know. Um and vice versa for the genders as well. And for girls I would say like because uh, just be careful about men, not boys. or well, be careful about boys, but be very careful about men as a teenager approaching you because I used to think it was so funny when men would hit on me in their 40s and always try to like pick me up when I was in my school uniform in like year nine. And now I look back and think that's fucking disgusting. But um, that's something. I- and also how I would, sometimes I would be like, aware that, okay, this is inappropriate, but be very passive to it and be like, oh, haha, thanks, okay, I have to go. And then that's probably what they like about my youthful teenageness. So that then I was pursued further by adult men. Um, and thankfully nothing, I was never a victim of anything, thank God. But now I'm really, I always see on TikTok, teenagers will just start straight away film a man. If he approaches her, be like, don't talk to me. I'm 15 years old and you're 50. Do not talk to me. Stop talk, call, like taking photos of me. Don't comment on my tits, like those kind of things. And I love that. I As long as it's safe to do so, like you're pu- in public and in a group of people and you're not going to get kidnapped and hurt or something. But I love that people are calling that out now um, when you're a child of that, like so young and so little. Like I saw a video of a th- fucking 13 year old girl confronting a man about that who pulled up next to her so um i think that's good and tell people about it as well if you're worried or unsafe just tell people
0: definitely that's that's good i will say i think some of that uh advice that seems to have been spoken about more in the last couple of years can manifest in uh extreme versions of that behavior. So I've also seen – we clearly have different for you pages here, but (laughs) um, people mocking girls who were like clearly trying – it. a guy just came up to her and said, hey, can I just use that seat? And she was like, oh, my God, like filming him (laughs) as though he's a predator or something. Now, that's not to say don't Mm -hmm. do that because I'm sure he's fine being filmed or whatever. But Mm -hmm. if you then adopt this mentality of fear all throughout your life, that can be unhealthy. I was talking to a guy who is about 19, 20 – couple of weeks or months ago he was at the bar after my show and these this girl was clearly mm. into him she would say you were so funny and um flirting with him and and things like that hey i'm getting a drink do you want to get one she made it very obvious and then we were like dude go go talk mm. to her he's like oh no that, I, that's sexist
1: yeah my what, what are you i talking have a male about? friend just like that yeah sexist
0: to talk to a girl yeah. at a bar who is clearly interested <laughs> in you <laughs> Yeah. So again, I'm not trying to say it's gone too far or anything like that, but just be wary of the of, mm. of taking some of that advice to the extreme to an extreme conception. that's all
1: yeah, but you know that being said, a lot of the times that we as women have these fears is from like prior experiences like you know how I always talked about in our podcasts like how i always getting myself into situations like getting stalked and harassed and because I would never like perceive someone as like a, I wasn't I was almost ignoring red flags or I'd still give them the time of day and talk to them and things like that then I'd get followed home and harassed or whatever or grabbed and someone tried to pick me up and run with me once <laughs> Couldn't carry me very far, but um, thank god. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? yeah, I was in Manly, oh, I was
0: you. You're too heavy. literally.
1: You just, I was just standing, <laughs> Did that you more, then? <laughs> <laughs> No. I- and I was just standing on my own and on the concourse, and it was like one in the morning. I was walking home when I used to live there, and this guy. Wait, and wait, wait,
0: so he literally tried to...
1: Literally. So he just,
0: what, he was trying to kidnap you? I
1: don't, he, I don't know. Or was he a drunk,
0: like, he was oh, drunk, this will be funny, Ha-ha. But he
1: ran with me for, like, 50 metres, which was quite far to be carrying. And yeah. I was like, where the fuck... Because we weren't at the start of the concourse near the beach. We're at the right at the other end. So he was going around the corner where the cars are parked. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, put me down. He was just fucking running with me. And then eventually he, like, stumbled, fell, he dropped me. And he just didn't even say anything. He didn't laugh and was like, I was just joking, which was still bad. But just <laughs> he didn't say anything. Um, so, anyway, <laughs> that was weird. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but like up until very recently, I would always find myself in these situations and I was never really that aware with it. But since I had um, that assault happen to me that injured me um, recently, I'm so so aware of it and it's really interesting to see just like even yesterday I became fearful of a situation that you know five months ago I would never thought twice about like I went um I have outside my apartment there's a park directly across the road and I was taking Baz the dog to pee and then we went for a walk. And while he was on the park across the road, there was a man standing in the park and he looked a bit like, he looked very serious. He was like in his fifties, he was well dressed, but he was in like a trench coat. And mm. It was like dark and gray outside. And he was standing like 30 meters away. So he wasn't close, but he was just staring at me, like just staring and staring and staring. And I was like, I kept looking away and then looking back at him. And I was like, are you okay kind of thing? And he's just staring at me and I was like, oh, he's probably just looking at the dog, Baz is cute. So I walked to the other end of the park, then he walked to the, other end of the park and I was like, then I started thinking, okay, fuck, I'm scared now. But I I was like, well, there's a park. He's just walking and he's smoking. He hasn't done anything. He's so far away from me and the park's tiny. It's not like I've walked 300 meters away. I've walked another 20 meters and he's just moved. But then I went for a big walk for 40 minutes with Baz. And then I came back to um, the park across the road because he'd done a poo and there was a bin there. And then I was gonna drop the poo in the bin and then walk across the road to my apartment. When I got back to the bin, he was still there. He saw me, kind of walked near me. And then we both crossed the road together to my apartment. And I lingered outside being like, oh, which direction is he going to go in? And he also lingered outside. So I opened the apartment door to my building, and, um, which requires like a buzzer to get in. And then he walks in as well into the lobby and the security cameras in the lobby. And I don't know if you notice that because I walk straight to the lift and he's walking right next to me. And then all of a sudden walks out the door at the back. And I was like, okay, that was just weird. Maybe he was just taking a shortcut to the street behind me. But I was freaking out at this point. And then at 30 minutes later, I was leaving for work or something. And I went back downstairs out the lift and out the front door. And he was standing outside again. And I fucking just went straight to a tradie. A bunch of tradies just stood with them. And was like, can you walk me to my car? Um, So, but... Six months ago, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. I would have been like, oh, this guy's just come. We live together. And I'd be like, oh, you live in this building? I haven't seen you kind of thing. I wouldn't have even thought about it. Now, since I've been assaulted, um, I'm so aware of everything like that. When someone yelled the other day, I like instantly like was like, oh, fuck, like is someone about to come and like deck me again, but hasn't happened. But yeah.
0: Yeah, that one's quite a star.
1: I don't know, I still can't figure out if I was being followed or
0: what. So he was there when you walked out of the apartment as well. Yeah. That's something to... uh,
1: Yeah. Just the weirdest part was that he walked into my lobby and then walked out the other side. Yeah. doesn't... Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that one is... uh, Sounds very
1: I left a voice note suspicious. to Adrian. I was like, 50-year-old male, white hair, ring- just in case I get like kidnapped or something. And then he was like, oh, what if he's like um, the building manager? Because there's construction going on. They're building the metro station outside my apartment. And I was like, and so next door to my apartment well, is- Well, he wouldn't be in a
0: trench coat.
1: Well, some- about sometimes a trench they coat. are. That just makes it really- Suss. Yeah, that's, that's the, so the, the most school
0: shooter uniform there is. <laughs> I
1: know. Yeah, so I don't know, but um, otherwise I was like, why the hell is he going in the building? Well, yeah, interesting. So I think that's my point is, is that that's Mm. why women gets and just anyone in general can become so hyper-focused and have instantly assuming someone's intention when they've already experienced something. Big tangent there, sorry. Sure, no,
0: no, no, that makes sense, yeah. Mm. Um, Something's got to give. This is a tangent here, but something's got to give. This... The way things are progressing with uh, just social media and the, the mental health issues and then the mm-hmm. one side is the hypersexualization sexualization of, of teenagers and, and children and everyone on social media. Now a lot of that is people dancing themselves and looking mm-hmm. sexy and but at the same time calling out all the nefarious sexual behaviors and um, policing that in almost all cases, rightfully so, Mm. um, something's got to give. It can't keep going down this continually progressive path. Either there has to be a reactionary sentiment to that or I just don't think in in 20 years it can – because where do you go from this? From from teenage girls dancing on TikTok in in bikinis and then also being more and more – very, very vigilant Mm. about, you know – and, again, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Um, so I just think something's got to give.
1: Yeah, but the thing Some, is.
0: Something culturally has got to change.
1: Is that what's interesting, I'm in two minds. I agree. Sometimes I think like this and I go down these rants as well all the time, being like, oh, my God, the day and age that we're in is crazy. But then I think that when I started working in this industry at 19, so almost eight years ago. Yeah. Kids were doing, and even when I was a teenager, kids were doing the same thing That's but in true. different ways. That's very true. Like I remember when I was 14, this one or two girls in my school would be sexting every guy yeah. Or yeah. and sending nudes and to like hundreds of guys from different schools.
0: And People are actually having less sex than ever yeah. before because yeah. of, because, because of porn really, mm. I'm assuming, and low testosterone.
1: Or not knowing how to react or how to interact There's with that, someone that in element. person.
0: I think, look, that, that anecdote I said about that, Young man who thought it was sexist to talk to a girl. I think that's a minority. I yeah. don't think most young men would think that way. Mm. Maybe we just need, I think there's just, if they do consent classes, they should also do just social interaction classes. Yeah. If you do like a girl at a bar, teach a guy how to approach her properly. But at the same time, sometimes you're going to mess it up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sometimes you're going to come across as creepy. Yeah. And, there's a difference between someone who was well intentioned and it came across really poorly, and maybe it was a mm. he thought, oh, this is a dirty pickup line, and the girl got offended, versus someone who is just not taking no for an answer.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good point that it would be good to learn that. It's almost like a dying art. Like teenagers these days, when they hang out with each other, they sit on their phones together or they do well, things related to their phones together.
0: What you need to learn now is how to slide into the DMs.
1: Tell us, Neil. Without
0: being creepy, which is impossible.
1: You, you, <laughs> you have know. the worst pick. No one take advice. I, no, I some know. of the things that you said were so shocking, like your shitty pickup lines. Um, but it just worked. <laughs> Do they work or what? <laughs> well, you have a, a million <laughs> followers on TikTok. Woo! So you can really say what it's you want and some people say, will hey? just go with it.
0: <laughs> I like to think it was the line, but okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. Probably not. But do you know what? I th- Who knows? <laughs> I think that these conversations about how or what we would say to our youth or thinking about our childhood is so important for um, like inner child work and understanding ourselves and just thinking about it, like the things that I would bring up, it's a very relevant to me today, so therefore it was an important moment in my childhood that maybe I need to, like, resolve or heal or whatever, and same for you. Um, so, and I keep seeing now, like, a lot of, like, inner child work is, is becoming popular and people are calling it, like, shadow work.
0: Yeah, there's all of that. Yeah. At the, but at the same time, you can't if you enforce that onto a, a teenager who just doesn't want to do it and is going to roll their eyes and think this is some hippie bullshit. No, it's not,
1: not for teenagers, yeah. That's, not,
0: that's never – I know when I was a teenager I would have responded yeah. that way. So mm. it's about just develop, instilling good habits so that if they do ever decide to look inwards and, and be introspective and work on some of their psychological habits, mm. they've got the discipline and the right mentality and the ability to organise and, mm. and spend – couple of hours doing said work because they've developed those good habits from a young age
1: yeah but it's interesting i'll be curious to see what it's like in 10 years from now because these kind of um you know this all is viral do your shadow work do your inner child work is it's gone viral with teenagers so they're doing it I guess, on at least what I see, a lot are because it's trendy. So I'm curious to see how um, that plays out in the future.
0: You know what I think? What? Here's my bigger Tell take me. on this. I think this is the next bastion of the culture war, mm-hmm. this kind of pseudo-psychology, mm-hmm. relationship analysis, pathologizing everything in the same way five years ago everyone was obsessed with calling everything racist, sexist, homophobic, and a lot of it was. Yeah, yeah. not trying to deny that. But now you see literary figures, particularly in the UK, there's been a swath of them that have come out now against things like cancel culture and against this Mm. culture of suppression in academia. And these are people who are fierce feminists.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Literary geniuses.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh there was a Nigerian woman who came out, penned an essay recently about this, and, and I sort of thought, well, <laughs> five years ago, where were you? But uh I think this could be the next mm. cultural battle, if you will, mm. where people are just using those terms in the same way they were weaponizing racist, sexist, this, that. Yeah. And then and and, and moulding their ideology to continually broaden the definition of what is racist and what is sexist. I think a similar thing may happen with continually broadening the idea of what is manipulative, what is emotional abuse, what is controlling to the point where people are just going to say, shut up.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think that might happen. That I'm already is, there. That is happening. It's <laughs> but- happening with trauma like 10 years ago. The definition of trauma was that if you'd had a significant and severe event that happened in your childhood or in your life that had long-lasting impacts and it um, was likely to be something like, for example, war, abuse, neglect, assault, those kind of things, now people are saying um, and even therapists are saying now that trauma could be something that we don't even – is realize is trauma um, like for example, you might have trauma because your mum wouldn't let you have ice cream as a children as a child and and you can have childhood wounds and that can be because mom never let you had ice cream and now you have a food addiction or something. but that's not necessarily trauma.
0: Couldn't agree more.
1: So it is very interesting how now there is this big push to say every single person, you all have trauma. I actually disagree with that. I don't think that I hold trauma. And I think that 100%. trauma comes from when an event occurs, what makes ongoing trauma afterwards purely depends on how you were supported after that event. Hmm. So um, children of like, you know, had have been, let let's say you get something happens in a car, like you have a car accident and then afterwards, um, mom and dad and your family are really supporting you and talking you through that and helping you through that, you probably overcome that. You might not even think about that again. Like I've been in car accidents, for example, but then someone else that's been in a car accident may get completely ignored or just no one talks about it and they don't deal with it. They haven't healed from it or resolved it or whatever. And then they carry through that their entire life. So I think it's really important to have those things supported. But also if you're not recognizing something in you and you're not being impacted by something, you may not have trauma. It's mm. it's not right to say you 100%, if you're a living, you carry trauma mm. because a lot of people might not.
0: Well, at the very least, what we need to do is rather than continually broadening the definition of what trauma is, broaden the nomenclature and, and have different words mm. because it is true that if a certain pattern developed in the way that you were brought up, Mm-hmm. based on the behavioural responses from a major caregiver, mm-hmm. y- that will then manifest throughout the rest of your life. Yes. Yeah. We need a word for that. That's But w- by yeah. using the word trauma, you are then diminishing the experiences of people who have experienced war mm-hmm. and have PTSD. Yeah. And in the same way, the word racist... OK, if there's a lot of white people on a TV show and you label that racist, you're diminishing the experiences of people who have been denied employment mm. or even experienced violence because of immutable characteristics that they simply cannot control. So let's update our vocabulary rather than broaden the definition. Yeah, Let's have some yeah. different words and just weaponizing the word racist or mm. trauma mm. or manipulative yes whatever it may be
1: exactly yeah
0: nomenclature needs to be updated
1: it does and the thing is, is those words already exist we're just choosing not to use it and we like to kind of you know put it in a box and say that they all fall under that same category but i find that the one where you're talking about that example of you know when something may have happened in your childhood that may not been. Um, traumatic, but it's set up a series of of beliefs, patterns, or behaviors that you carry now. And that you're right. There's not like a word for that. It could be like childhood wounds or people sometimes say parent wounds or masculine or feminine wounds or father wounds or things like that, or inner child work. And- all those kind of like...
0: Even wound implies that it's always negative. a malicious thing.
1: Yeah, and that's that was my thought process too because I like to call it just inner child work, which even then has this kind of hippie connotation, like maybe just awareness mm. um, and self-awareness and learning and self-expression because the way that the actual process of doing, le- like let's say inner child work, is so impactful and so helpful. Like just an example would be um, currently one of my beliefs is um, the, uh, <laughs> what? Well, I was just
0: going to say really quickly, the problem with any sort of burgeoning new intellectual framework is that there is always going to be stupid people that bastardize it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And
0: make it contemptible. And, pe- and then comedians come, that's my job, <laughs> I come around and make fun of it.
1: Exactly. So...
0: That's always going to occur. Mm-hmm. It's about finding the best version of uh, understanding that so particular true. school of thought.
1: So true. But sorry, go on. So true. Um, what I was going to say is one of the beliefs that I have. Just an example is um, uh, like I re- I require or desire all of my partners to just be like so over the top with physical affection physical intimacy and like words of affirmation right and that's all I always say that like all my boyfriends always like open with how they feel like it's just something I seek out in my romantic partners and then I go okay well what's beneath that okay well in my childhood for example my um my dad showed his affection to my mom by, you know, taking her on holidays, buying her cars, like doing all these things, sorting everything out. But it wasn't through affection or or um or by saying anything to her. Like I never mm. heard him say, like, I love you to each other or the, to each other. I never heard that, even though they'd love me as well being beautiful, love. I would never heard that. So therefore I had then I go, well, what's beneath that? OK, I've equated that physical intimacy and affection equals love and then what's beneath that if I feel that I'm not getting enough then I'm not feeling that that person loves me and that's something that I have to realize that but this this process of like work is actually important because now I'm like if I have a partner and he's not fucking showering me in attention constantly. By doing this process, I realized, hang on, this I know where this comes from. And this is this is a me thing. Not it's not up to him to be providing me and fulfilling every emotional need kind of thing. Yeah. Like just one more quick example. My friend has a it's a huge trigger for her. And she is very loud, very extroverted, very passionate. And she kicks off a lot just as a person. In a yeah. And but she freaks out. If she has a male partner and he raises his voice or becomes aggressive and like anything like that, if they're fighting and he's like, well, you, she'll be like, don't you speak to me like that. Like that's how she responds. It's like a huge kind of trigger to her and she's figured out, well, what's beneath that? Okay. So her. Her dad used to yell at her when she had done something. He would never give her an explanation to like say, well, I did this because of this. He would just be like, don't you bloody do that and maybe hit her or something. Well, what's beneath that? She fears that women can't be silenced. Women need to be heard, blah, blah, blah. Well, what's beneath that? She needs to have what she says acknowledged. So when she kind of figured out that process now, she says she's taught this to her boyfriend and shared that to her partner. And she said, If we're in a fight, I don't care if you disagree with me or I'm being wrong or you can say all that, that I'm wrong, but I just need you to say, I hear what you're saying. What you've said is this or I acknowledge that you've said you're angry because of that. Yeah. And that has taken out every single issue in their relationship because of it. So, that kind of work is really important for us to do. Like, think about a belief that may... It doesn't have to be a negative belief like I get triggered when a man yells or like me being I need men to shower my partners to be very loving isn't a negative belief. Yeah. It's just a perception and a value that I hold. But why is that? And unpacking that is so helpful to everyone. Mm. So it is interesting. Like you can go too far into these things, yeah, but then at can. the same time they go can be so impactful. Anything, yeah,
0: Without a doubt. Yeah, I think I definitely reading the uh, I forget what it was called, now, but something workbook, emotional attachment workbook or something like that. Mm. And you figure out whether you're on the anxious or avoidance scale, definitely more towards anxious. Mm. So I get worried that someone's, you know, abandoning me and things like that. And that's probably par- partly why I was such a people pleaser. Yeah. Oh, I don't want them to no, don't get no don't leave me, don't abandon me type thing. Mm. Um that's something I've definitely had to, had to work on. You know what I was thinking about the other day? This is getting really deep into it. But I even think my whole promotion of open relationships was almost a way to combat some of that anxious attachment because wow. I don't feel like I'm being abandoned if I can then go and yeah. sleep with someone else, which is actually quite unhealthy.
1: That's very interesting. Or oh, you are having people cut not on the back burner, but available to provide emotional yes. and, and intimate support to you.
0: Yeah, because wow. oh, I feel like I'm this person might be yeah um
1: if you put all your eggs going away bastard, for you know yeah.
0: um abandoning me or mm. getting further away from me. Okay, cool. I'll just go. I can. I can deal. I. I. I don't have to deal with the mm. um consequences of fully being abandoned. I can just go and. Bang someone else. Exactly. So, I don't know if that's actually the case, but that could have been.
1: It could, I don't Very know. much could have been. I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah. And then or you I'm could even... You know just what? The bang. You could just unpack that <laughs> even further. You never know. Like, do it on your own time, I guess. Or if it comes to you now, do it. But, like, you might be like, okay, well, what's, what's even beneath that? Like, could it be... For example, not just that you know I want an open relationship. Well, why? Because I want you know what you just said. Well, why is that? Because of ABC. Sure. So yeah, super oh, I do that. Yeah, yeah I should. do that a
0: lot. Yeah,
1: and you come up to the fucking wildest things. But I just want to say one thing because when we are talking about trauma, and I said, I said you know if it's not something that um, you even remember, or it might not you know, be as as relevant. I just want to say that you can have trauma that you don't remember. You can have trauma that occurred at birth. You can have trauma that occurred as a one-year-old or a two-year-old that you have no memory of and it can impact you for the rest of your life. And those are the type of kids that I work with as well. Like they weren't fed or they were neglected and things like that. And the impact of that now is very, very drastic. So that, but that is very intense trauma. So. Um,
0: And we can't avoid things like that. There's always going to be times where if if you've been sheltered your whole life and never had anything go wrong, then Mm the smallest thing that happens is going to feel like trauma because mm-hmm. you haven't built up a tolerance to negative occurrences yeah, coming well, in your life. But the, 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 there's a, yes, of course, there's a balance to that. It doesn't mean you throw a child into the deep end where mm-hmm. anything could happen to them, but th- there's still something to be said about exposure therapy.
1: See, that's, that's an interesting kind of argument about the whole... How? When do we expose our children to social media? Because a lot of therapists say, put it off as long as you can, maybe 15, 16. And then other people say, well, what happens when they're 15? They log on to Instagram. And they post they a photo and someone says, why would you post this, you fat bitch or something? And then that that child may have never been confronted like that in their entire life. Who knows what that comment could have without Damn. previously being exposed to it could ruin a child's esteem forever gosh
0: so social mental media mental health is, yeah is like the war of today
1: so there's no there's no right way <sighs> that you can do about it except i would expose my kids but and let them on it maybe from like 12 or 13 but for like an hour yeah, a day yeah
0: that seems to be yeah. the just intuitively the healthiest yeah option there but it's so who knows crazy. who knows
1: Fucking those?
0: Yeah, I was going to say something I've forgotten now. Um, yeah, what else? Because I always try and figure out what am I getting really triggered about? And then. Cancel culture. <laughs> well, yeah, that was always a yeah. big thing. Um, and now I see that. it Just ha- having moved into this world of, of relationships and relationship psychology, I do. There is a part of me that is just getting triggered at the overuse of all of these words and maybe that is unhealthy and there is some value to those words even if they're used in what I perceive as a very sort of inconsequential or shallow sense Mm -hmm. and I wonder why that is I I think I have a big thing about being boxed in yeah do not want to be do not put me in a group as soon as people always goes right-wing comedian right-wing comedian I started making fun of the the yeah. right more than ever. As soon as people were like, "He's a left-wing comedian," he's a brown comedian. Then I'd just be like, "Nope, not going to do any brown jokes for a year."
1: Yeah, why do you have a thing about being boxed I
0: don't know. I wonder why.
1: What's beneath that? <laughs>
0: it's a very good question, but that is something I'm. I'm mm. really. Um, the one thing where I always latch onto is no, I am a comedian, and I'm very happy to mm. call myself that. But a lot of other things, obviously, there are things about me that I just can't change. Not that I'm ashamed of, or or anything like that, but, you you know, my Indian heritage, being Australian, being a a man, all of these sorts of things. Mm. But I don't like to make that a centrepiece of my identity. Um, The only thing I do really make a centrepiece right now is comedian actually. Mm. There's not a lot else that I...
1: So maybe what's beneath that is that you you care about what people think about you because you say that as well, like that people-pleasing thing is still so embedded in you that...
0: We are social creatures at the end of the day. It's important to everyone. is going to worry about what people think about them. But No, it's not as though I completely run away from labels, but Mm. I'm always wary of making that a – I actually think that's a big problem with a lot of – people nowadays because they Mm. they make certain things such a major centerpiece of who they are yeah they can't actually think about it rationally they may not even be healthy for them if i make i'm a person of color the 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 most major thing about me well then i got to be on twitter all day complaining about white people and i don't want to do that Mm. so yeah i am i don't like that see even that why am i a person of color why am i not just neil with my ideas and my I, i obviously i am Mm-hmm. but why is that such a major thing about me? Yeah, I've got some experiences that would, on average, be different to a white person. And sure, you get a few slurs here and there, but if you if 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 you got called a curry muncher in high school and you're in your 20s and you're still holding on to that, well, no, that's not society's fault. I think that's actually a bit on you. That sounds harsh. Maybe I'll get cancelled, but I really – I don't uh, – I just – It actually makes me uncomfortable when people are like, and you're a person of color. Fuck off. No, I'm not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I get what you're saying. I
0: I just don't. I
1: I think you're right though in the sense of when it becomes your whole identity that it's not healthy, unless it's something that you're really proud of. I think that's different. So you, you might be so proud of being spiritual person or a health fitness person you just want to embody that whatever but when it's something like like what you said or particularly mental health when you're like I'm a person with anxiety and if that becomes your entire identity no one's not to take away the point that you have anxiety or, or a diagnosis of depression anxiety but when everything or thought process I can't do this because I have anxiety I feel this way because of my anxiety this and this because of my anxiety you're embodying anxiety so much that you're just, that is becoming your permanent state. Um, if that's how you identify as yourself, like your sense of identity is anxiety, it's going to be much harder to overcome that. So it's, if you change your perspective a little bit, is like, I'm a person mm. who is strong and this and whatever. And I experience anxiety on a daily basis. It's still different.
0: Mm. And if anything, I think subconsciously you would be looking for ways to maintain that identity.
1: Yeah, and that's what, you know- is
0: very unhealthy. One of the biggest learnings
1: that I ever learned was that no matter what, your ego wants to be right. So it doesn't want what's good for you, it wants to be right. So if you're saying, I am anxious all day to yourself your ego wants to be right and it wants to prove that. It's not going to be like, well, I want you, Elijah, to be really healthy and this and that. Like you may consciously be thinking that, but your ego is like, I'm right. I Mm. experienced this because of this. Like that is my identity. So it's something Mm. to be aware of, yeah.
0: Similarly with uh, I am a person of colour and I'm oppressed, you're just going to go around – looking for instances that prove that you're oppressed you're going to broaden the definition of then what there's oppression confirmation is you're going to bias you're going to justify what is mm-hmm. otherwise objectively bad behavior being rude disrespectful mean and you're going to justify that with this sort of weird intellectual idea of well I'm punching up when i say kill all white people it's not racist because white people have power therefore i'm allowed to say that well i don't want to i don't want to be that I don't want to be that person, mm. so I am a person of color, obviously, but I just, oh, I viscerally detest making that a major part of who I am.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. But maybe there's something to unpack there. Yeah, it's interesting. Some well, would say the argument is that, or you actually have internalized racism, so you, oh, you, because you mm-hmm. were constantly uh, told, mocked for being brown, and and the way you were perceived, you're tribe was perceived in the media was low on the social totem, social totem pole, you're doing everything you can to detach yourself from that. And if I'm doing that subconsciously, I wouldn't be aware of it, but I don't actually think that's the case because I would argue that the people that are constantly fixated on how they're oppressed because of their skin color are the ones that are that are visibly, demonstrably showcasing internalized racism because they think their skin color is a disability, basically. And no I don't I don't like to think of it that way. Mm. I don't I'm grateful for my Indian heritage, but I wouldn't even say I'm proud of it either. I'm proud of things that I've achieved, mm. that I've done, that mm. I've can take responsibility of. I'm proud of my career. I'm immensely proud of what I've built. I'm proud of the person I am today. I'm grateful for my um heritage. I'm grateful for being an Australian. I didn't do anything. I was just born in Australia. I was just born to Indian parents. I think if you make if, if you're prideful about things that you had no control over, I think that's actually dangerous. And it, it might actually be a quite a sad indication that you have nothing else to be, mm. that sounds harsh, but maybe you don't have other things to be proud of and you need to give yourself things to actually be be proud of.
1: Now, oh, yes. and, and
0: and and then I will say, yes, historically, if your group has been maligned, I suppose it's a reactionary mm. sentiment to say for so long I've, been made to feel bad for for being brown so i'm actually no i'm proud to be brown and i can see that i wouldn't argue against that necessarily but yeah that's a that's obviously something i go into quite a lot of depth I like that.
1: I always learn a lot from your perspective when you talk about this because I have definitely fallen much more into the other side being like, we need to be very, very careful. Uh, But I learn so much when we talk about this. It's good. It's good.
0: Yeah, I I don't think that comes – I think that comes from a place of altruism and wanting to Mm. help people Mm. and um, having empathy for people's experiences. But I I think in the same way that person with anxiety is making it a centerpiece of their identity and now there are mm. some again in in the UK there are these wonderful commentators who are well mostly black who are coming out against a lot of this and mm. saying if you make this the major focal point of your identity it can be harmful i think it could also be masking uh, a deep need for belonging
1: very interesting and
0: mm. you will then feel quite threatened if you're if you're if a big part of your purpose is i am fighting against racism well if the idea enters your mind that hey maybe racism isn't as pervasive as you think it is you're going to do everything you can every cognitive possible form of cognitive dissonance is going to occur because if it's true that racism isn't as intense and serious as you've always perceived it to be you lose a major sense of purpose in your life
1: Mm. so
0: yeah (laughs) yeah that's uh not to not to and and then you know you you say something like this and then you can be smeared as ignoring racism and Mm. ignoring a real prejudice that's occurring in society and it's not at all what i'm doing but if i were to focus on i suppose that cosmopolitan social media progressive elitist view of uh oppression and identity that's something i would generally rally against as i've spoken about at length on many podcasts And, and 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 you know what coming full circle if i were to say anything to my younger self um or to a young person do exactly what i just said don't make a center point a, a focal point of your identity something that you have no control over or that doesn't give you a set of actions to live by so if you say you know i am brown or even something like i'm am, i am i am gay well well that doesn't that doesn't give you something to do every day mm. i'm brown cool what next whereas if you say even if you do say something that would be perceived as shallow. I'm an ultimate runner. You have to train. You have to have discipline. You have to. You, there, there's a there's a clear uh, set of smaller goals and then an ultimate goal <laughs> to achieve. Or 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 if you are a <laughs> My guard's up. Uh, I would differentiate, say, being proud of your race versus being proud of a, a, a religion. Now I'm not religious, uh, but if you say I am a Christian. Well, then there's a set of ideals that you have to live up to. Mm-hmm. You have to live by. Now, it's different saying I am brown versus I am um, an activist for racial justice because then you you uh, have a responsibility there. Yeah. So if 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 I could tell my younger self anything, actually, it's focus on things that you have control over, and in this process of figuring out who you are and who you want to be and what you value and that's always going to change it's you know you're going to have ephemeral ideas of what that may be all throughout your early 20s and i'm sure that's going to continue into my 30s and 40s and whatever but give yourself an identity adopt an identity that gives you deep meaning and 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 some form of responsibility i'm not just you know articulating Jordan Peterson-esque type view because it doesn't have to be this conservative idea of be a family man and be a christian and and be in an, an, a warrior for the for the west or anything like that. It can be as simple as oh, I want to be a sh- I want to be a good cook because then um it 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 actually gives you something to do. Well to be a good cook you have to work at that. You have to read, you have to learn about it. You have to actually partake in clear actions and you have something to do. And if you adopt an identity such as what I was talking about, hey, I'm, a, I'm oppressed because I'm a person of colour, well, what it influences you to do is fight against oppression. You're going to look for oppression everywhere and, you are again, you're just going to end up as one of these people on Twitter who just whinge about white people all day. And do you want to be that? No, I don't think you do. So
1: mm. there you go. <laughs> That was profound. Thank you, Neil.
0: Oh no. You're welcome. Speaking
1: to the masses. I guess I am. That was good. What a speech. I feel like we should just end it there. Just cut it.
0: Well, we've gone for how long of this, this is an hour thirty already. So Shit. Well, it is our fiftieth.
1: Oh yeah. But this one
0: little strand of hair keeps <laughs> getting in the way.
1: He's just gonna fix what his What a hair.
0: contrast from <laughs> <laughs> this passionate speech about your identity. <laughs> yeah, there's stupid hairs in my face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any Eliza, any concluding remarks? What would you tell, any any final um, advice for young people?
1: Just don't overthink it. Just be.
0: Just be. Just be. You'll learn from the bad experiences. So I'm not saying embrace, specifically look for bad experiences, but embrace them.
1: But please wear a condom because everyone is <laughs> yeah, going bareback and I'm so sick of... STIs in teenagers—they're—they're they're riddled with them. So, yes. wear protection, and yes. be grateful, and just be. That's what I say. I second that. wear yeah. protection. Yeah.
0: All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. If you've been with us from uh, episode one, thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to keep going, keep doing this. We—I love this. I hope you do too. Yes. Um, of course. Share the podcast, as always. We might do a live podcast soon. Who knows?
1: That would be cool. That
0: would be fun, I think. Uh, nealkahaker.com slash podcasts if you want to ask us a question. nealkahaker.com slash tickets if you want to see me live in Sydney. More cities coming soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you in for 51.
1: Bye.